What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Dimling here with y'all as always. Happy Friday to everybody out there. Maybe listening on Saturday, Sunday. So happy weekend, uh, I should say. Again, this week we'll be going over the uh, a false snapshot podcast, if you will, going over the five teams that were touched on in the fall snapshot series throughout the week. And those five teams this week were Dartmouth, Hobart, Holy Cross, LIU, and Loyola. Last week, if you missed it, went over the three service academies, as well as Cornell and Bellman was the, uh, the, the fifth team there. So, as I said, going kind of alphabetical-ish order, uh, or will be uh, getting these teams that have done or have released their rosters uh, already, did those, you know, upon them releasing them. So, uh, not specifically alphabetical order uh, with this, but somewhat of that uh, is how we're going again this year. So first team that I took a look at on Monday was the Dartmouth Big Green. So let's get into Brendan Callahan's program here. Shout. Uh, this is a team that went 4-9 and nine last season. 0-6 in Ivy League play, and uh, look, you know, the Ivy League had a, a fantastic season. They, they did. Uh, Cornell, Princeton being in championship weekend, Yale uh, being in there as well. Um, the championship weekend with a uh, final four, cont- uh, a uh, quarter finalist. I am escaping me on that, but you had Okay, quarterfinals, that's what I thought. Uh, so Cornell, Princeton, making championship weekend. Yale had a good season. Penn had a good season. Brown had a good season. Everybody made the NCAA tournament except for Dartmouth. But even with that, Dartmouth had a really good season, a season of growth uh, for them up there. Uh, the most, most northernmost Ivy, uh, both of the second northernmost college lacrosse program uh, just shy of Vermont. So they're up there, uh, up there in New Hampshire. And look, th- this is a program, You ha- they had a couple of games. You know, they've not won an, an Ivy League game in quite a while. They've not won one since 2015, uh, which was the first time of uh, the first season of the Brendan Callahan, Callahan era. Dartmouth, as we saw last year, got off that pretty good four and one start. And look, if, if you know they had a slip up game one, I, I think they they were better than Merrimack. Uh, they lost eight to six there. Obviously, a number of freshmen playing for Dartmouth last season. They dropped their first game, then they went at Bryant. They went at Siena, eleven to nine in both those games. They beat Vermont, which I mean. Vermont was an NCAA tournament team. Bryant was in the uh, NEC uh, semifinals. And then they, they, they beat St. John's in that one. And look, they looked good 
at Ohio State um, in the first half, but after after a kind of hot start, they they, they, they fall apart. Ohio State runs away. Ohio State's a much better team than they were. Uh, Twelve to six win there for the Buckeyes as as Dartmouth dropped that one in Columbus, a midweek game, and they would not win a, a, another game this season. They 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 came close twice. Uh, at home versus Cornell, eight to seven, and remember this is a Cornell team that uh, went on to come within two of Maryland in the national title game, and then against Stony Brook, uh, fourteen to thirteen, where they almost got a win in that one as well. You also had a twelve to ten game uh, against Princeton later on in the season. So I mean, this is a team that that really. Played, played good, played hard uh, in a lot of games. They were, you know, the Penn game, they were close in that one. Uh, I believe they actually led at one point, or tied at one point in, in, in the second half, uh, early third, mid-third quarter. They were tied 8-8 in that one. So, I mean, they were competitive. They were much more competitive than they have been in Ivy League play. However, they still did not break that streak, did not get an Ivy League win, which, you know, a lot of people coming into last season said, hey, there's, there's a lot of a lot of promise with this team. They've recruited very well. They have a lot of talent coming back. And, uh, you know, can they break that streak? They, they come very close, uh, but ultimately cannot do it as they uh, go a, what, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, or don't count 20, don't count 21. So they go the sixth season without winning a Ivy League game, the Dartmouth Big Green do. But non-conference-wise, and this was their best season since that first year of the Callahan era uh, going 4-9 and nine and starting 4-1, and one, which is uh, their best start in quite a while as well. Heading into 23, um, I, I think you got to be hopeful with this team. They certainly have a lot of talent that comes back, and they certainly have uh, s- some question marks there and that they're going to have to be answered. The biggest is in cage, where Daniel Hanks is gone. He's at Georgetown now, 168 saves, 52% save percentage in his time. Uh, a, a career total of 357 saves, 55.3% save percentage, a four-year starter there uh, for the Big Green over his five se- over his five years. Excuse me, there. Um, this really, really good playmaker there, reliable, and you know you knew when you play Dartmouth, you're gonna have a tough goalie. And, uh, you know, he proved that, and he was, you know, I, I would say the best player, the most important player uh, throughout the past couple of seasons and certainly on defense. So he's going to be a big piece, big, big piece to replace there, Daniel Hanks and Cage, uh, you know, the heart of that big green defense, which has been pretty tough. They, they statistically might not be the best, uh, statistically might not be top 15, top 20, but they've been tough and they've played tough. Uh, in, in recent years, and Hank's a big part of that. Uh, you've got sophomore Mason Morrell and junior Hunter Benny are the only two returning goalies from last year. Morrell saw 
41 minutes and 14 seconds of play. Last spring, nine saves. Benny uh, had only action of his career came uh, by way of uh, about seven-minute play against Tufts, seven minutes of play against Tufts in 2021, uh, that one game. So has not seen a lot of action either of those guys have. Uh, you also bring in a freshman that I'm pretty high on, and Sam Cooper out of Santa Fe Christian in California. Uh, was you know, really impressed with his a three-star player by inside cross was really impressed by his play in late July there at the Adrenaline All-American game. Uh, played a, a fantastic, fantastic game uh, that he had there in a fantastic high school career. Uh, so they've got some options. Neither, you know, none of those three options have a ton of experience. We'll see how things progress there on the back end and cage. Um, now, the second two questions I really have about Dartmouth are, are, are more so about big picture questions with, with this program. A, how does this young talent progress? So here's the situation. Last season, uh, one of the hallmarks of this team was how many young players led the way. Attackman Colin McGill was a, a, a freshman leading their second leading scorer, 25 goals, 8 assists, 33 points. Freshman, Peter Lapina, 8 goals, 10 assists. And Henry Bonney, 11 goals, 5 assists. The 5th and 6th leading point getters uh, there for the Big Green as sophomores. Joe Zelby served as uh, its top LSM. Cam Hitchcock started all 13 games at close. And Brandon Venturola uh, was the Big Green's top short-stick D-Midi. All three of those guys were freshmen. All three, Azelby, Hitchcock, and Venturola, uh, all freshmen last season. Colin McGill uh, was a freshman. Peter Lapina, Henry Bonney there as sophomores, some of the top offensive players and defensive players coming back. Um, and, and look, that, that's just like the baseline of the amount. Those are the guys that just produced the most. Uh, those are a ton of younger guys that also got playing time that didn't necessarily produce at that level last season, but very much could this year as a, as a junior or a, a sophomore. Um, does like the recruiting classes of 2020 and 2021 have been very impactful for this program in the immediate. Uh, in the immediate. Now, can they continue that? And can they develop uh, and, and eventually get this program to where they want to be, which is winning Ivy League games? Um, and, and that kind of rolls into the uh, second big picture question here of how competitive can this team be? Uh, for the past five full seasons, they finished last in the Ivy League, failed to win a league game. Um, you know, w- when they do that, you know, th- th- that's that's the monkey off their back, that they've got to get off their back. No matter how they do in non-conference play, no matter how, how, how well they do um, you know, in that, no matter how much they progress, uh, the monkey on their back is the Ivy League win. And that is, you know, Dartmouth has got to get the Ivy League win there. Will it come in 2023? I don't know. That's, an, that's a question that only time can answer. Um, I do think this team is going to be pretty decent next year. As I mentioned, again, I should say, as I mentioned, Daniel Hanks is gone. 
And then you have George Prince and Matt Paul, two of the top attackmen are both gone. Those are the three biggest pieces in my mind they have to replace. You look at Colin McGill, Tommy Logan, see them step up on the attack spot. Peter Lapina as well uh, to step up there. Joe Zelby, Peter Rizzito, uh is back. Rizzotti is back on the defensive end uh, as their top defender, Mitchell Myers. And, and he you know, had some injury issues last year. He's back. Mitchell Myers back at the faceoff dot. He was very impressive last season. They've got a lot of impressive pieces. They've got a lot of, lot of younger impressive pieces. We'll see how this all fits together and how competitive this team can be in the Ivy League in 2023. And look, if they can get that monkey off their back, because that is really the biggest question of all and really the focus. Anyone you talk about Dartmouth, well, you know, they might have this, that, or, or, or this. They might beat this team or that team out of conference, but can they win an Ivy League game? That is the ultimate question surrounding this program now and has been for the past few seasons um, and will be until they get that monkey off of their back, as I mentioned. All right, let's move on now to the Hobart Statesman, a team that uh, I think shocked a lot of people in that NEC semifinals game where they put up a shocking 21-5 to win over Bryant uh, to get to the NEC title game, only to lose to St. Joseph's 14-17 in the rain. Um, and that ends their time in the NEC as Hobart's moving to the Atlantic 10 Conference, along with Richmond, High Point, St. Joseph's, St. Bonaventure, and UMass. So uh, St. Joe's and, and Hobart moving along together after playing in that NEC title game this past season. Uh, when you look at the immediate prospects of this team in 2023 uh, and starting the A-10 era, uh, I mean, this is, you know, this is kind of up in the air. Uh, the A-10 is going to be a tougher conference than the NEC was top to bottom. You know, th- this, this squad has some key losses, certainly, that suggest maybe a rebuilding year. Ryan Archer gone, Derek Madonna gone, Tommy Mott gone. All three of, uh, you know, three of your top offensive players, Dan Ryan, your top LSM, is also gone. Uh, this defense, I think, should still be pretty strong, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But especially offensively, possibly a rebuilding year. There's a lot of questions there. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned, there is some talent on the defensive end, and also there are some depth guys from last season that go back and watch Hobart, and go back and watch what some of these guys did when they had had to step in, excuse me, when they had to step in and, and contribute, it was pretty good. So it's kind of, I, I have mixed feelings about Hobart at this point. Uh, we'll see what they do, you know, what we hear out of fall. We'll see how things progress and, and what they look like in February. But uh, this is a team right now that I think I'm kind of iffy on, on what they're going to do. Are they going to be a, I don't want to say basement because the A-10, this is a conference with teams that were the best, the best in their conference. Um, are they going to be more so on the lower end of the spectrum immediately in the A-10? Or are they going to be, 
on the higher end and competing for an A-10 title right away uh, up there with the likes of, of what I would expect Richmond, High Point, and St. Joseph's to be some of those top teams there uh, immediately uh, in 2023 in the A-10. And you know, the, the biggest question for this Hobart team uh, with how good they can be is, can this off is, is, is offensively? Um, this is an offense that's been very consistent uh, and one of the most productive in college across under the tutelage of Stephen Brundage. They had, they averaged 14 goals per game a season ago. Uh, that number was 12.2 in 2021 and 19.6 during the shortened uh, 2020 season. So you've had really good, really productive offenses under Stephen Brundage. They've gone through some changes personnel-wise also, so that they have sustained uh, over the past couple of seasons. And but, but the thing is here, there was 138 points, 78 goals with the loss of Ryan Archer, Derek Madonna, and Tommy Mott, uh, who were the Statesman's top three point getters last season. Archer was the quarterback of this offense. Madonna was their best shooter. Mott was that kind of balanced playmaker, a quick burst of speed, uh, made him even more dangerous there as a dodger uh, and an all-around playmaker. Those are, are, are the three biggest losses for this team uh, and for this offense heading into 2023 for Hobart. Um, now, who they got coming back on that end that, that's going to have to step up you? Anthony Detellis, 20 goals, 10, 10 assists season last year. John Hurley, 25 goals, four assists. And then Bradley Seamus, uh, 22 goals, one assist. Those are the top three returning uh, players on that end to create. I mean, I would say that's a pretty solid core to build around when you look at the production these guys had last year. You should also mention Chad Batch, as well as Alex Rosa, are two other guys that are expected to take a step forward here in 2023 and take on more responsibility. Troy Bartholomew, he's my potential breakout player for this team. Uh, six foot seven attackman has has piqued the interest of many uh, due to his height uh, since his days in the MIAA and his talent uh, there as well. Um, hasn't been able to showcase his full potential just yet at, at Hobart. He's now a senior. He missed all of last year due to injury. Uh, he could very well step back in the fray. He was a good player in 2020, uh, a solid player uh, in limited time in 2021. And then this past season, misses it with injury. Uh, could have been a big year for him. Uh, we'll see. He steps back in to the fray there offensively. Uh, and we'll see how this offense can do. They've got some good pieces to tell us, Hurley and Seamus, you know, being those top three guys there. And look, Stephen Blundage has 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 come here uh, to Hobart, has come to Hobart here, uh, has come to Hobart from Marquette and really taken that offense by the reins and has had a really, really good system in place uh, since he got there. We'll see if that can continue to be the case here. Um, and moving on to the other end of the field, defense. Uh, you have a new defensive coordinator in, in Chris Fisher, who literally swapped jobs with uh, Kyle Terry uh, as Terry goes to St. John's and Fisher comes to Hobart. 
And uh, look, this is a this is a defense that was was iffy last season. This is a defense that wasn't necessarily fantastic in every facet. Um, you've got two big pieces returning on the back end: Michael Christensen, who comes back for the fifth season, a fantastic physical defenseman uh, who has been there and been a consistent playmaker, and especially last season, you saw what he did against Bryant. And uh, against Marco Volk, I think he held him to uh, no goals or uh, one assist or whatever it was. Uh, he really ha- has stepped up and really stepped up. This defense especially stepped up late last season, uh, especially in that Bryant game facing an offense uh, of that talent, uh, of that kind of talent caliber, uh, you would say there. Christensen's back and Kevin, Holt- Kevin Holtby is back in cage was not 50% last season in goal, 49.5%. You want to see that up, uh, but was a very consistent playmaker. And Hobart overall, a kind of inconsistent, inconsistent team, and especially defensively. So, uh, you know, Holtby reflected that a bit in his play as well. Um, you know, those two... Christensen and Holtby are going to be the faces of this defense. Again, you look at Marcus Trujillo, uh, Tru, uh, Trujillo is back at the Ellison spot. And close defenders, Nolan Firth, Maxwell, Maxwell Horton, and fifth-year attorney, Mark Sinot, uh, all of whom saw starting action at times last season. There's an array of polls that they can be, that, that are going to be there and are going to either A, uh, get that opportunity. You're going to have some competition in the fall to get that start, or are going to be rotating in and out uh, based on injuries, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, I think the biggest question. So, so I, I, I'm very confident in the polls that Hobart has. My question mark with this defense is their D minis. Um, that's a that's a much different story. Um, you saw some guys playing both ways last year, and when you go back and you watch Hobart play and you watch those games, and I watched about five, six games of them this summer, it, it, that is an area, the, the D-mids, the rope unit is an area where it certainly needs some work. It, it needs some work, and, and you look at the talent at the those places, there's some good plays that are made there, uh, but it, it, you got to up the game at that position, specifically the D-mids, and this defense very well could uh, take a step forward as they want to do here in 2023. Now, I mentioned health in a, you know, a a minute ago. I said we'll get back to that. That may be the biggest question and most important question for this team is how healthy they can be for a full season. Uh, They had a number of injuries last season. Uh, but uh, actually not only last season, but the last couple of seasons. They've had a ton of injuries. Uh, I mentioned Bartholomew here, uh, who we mentioned a bit ago, uh, was another guy. Look, this is a team that's going to want to stay healthy. First of all, you want to stay healthy no matter what. Secondly, staying healthy might be more important than ever. When you're in the Atlantic 10, Richmond, High Point, St. Joseph's, St. Bonaventure, UMass. Those are teams that can beat you every single week. You don't have any 
you know, cupcakes that you can maybe say, eh, we're going to sit you a game. You can't sit any of you guys against any of those teams. That is a tough, tough league to play in. And, like, being healthy is more important now than ever. Um, when you look at the conference that Hobart is now in, that they now occupy. So health is going to be a serious thing that you're going to have to monitor. You're going to have to watch for with Hobart next season. Hopefully they can keep the guys healthy. Uh, you never want to see that. And when you watch Hobart, you saw a lot of, saw a lot of, you know, saw a lot of coats on the sidelines um, all throughout the year. So, you know, you want to see teams stay healthy and uh, certainly something the Hobart is going to have to do uh, this next season, something they didn't do and haven't done uh, for an entire season uh, in about two, three years now is stay completely completely healthy in terms of uh, having that consistency of who's playing from a week-to-week basis. All right, moving on now to the Holy Cross Crusaders and uh, a team heading into year three or U2, uh, I, I would say U2, uh, you know, J.L. Leppard took over ahead of 2020. I'd call that U0, um, 0.0 if you want to do that. Um, but heading into the third season, nonetheless, of the J.L. Leppard era there at Holy Cross. And uh, this was one of the worst teams in College Cross last season, uh, to, 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 to put it bluntly. They were 1-13, 0-8 in the Patriot League. Um, they have not really been that fantastic under – I mean, they, they showed a lot of promise, I thought, in 2021. This past season just were not – were not what, what what I thought they would be. And I didn't think – I didn't have high – like too high expectations for them. thought maybe they'd be, you know, in the bottom of the Patriot League. They were. Um didn't think they'd go one and thirteen. I thought they would get a win in there. I uh, thought they'd be more competitive when you looked at at the Lafayette. Uh, you know they're also being in, in, in the bottom typically with them. They won't certainly didn't expect them to be competing with Army, Navy, Loyola, Lehigh, and they didn't. Um, but you know, was we, we, certainly less impressed with this team than I expected to be uh, back in the spring or this past spring, I should say. And, and look, they lose two big pieces uh, that they're going to have to replace in 2023 in Will Spangenberg and Chris Conlin, the attackman and the defenseman. So they're losing two pieces of that team last year. And, uh, you know, again, this was one of the worst teams in college across, 67th offensive efficiency, 70th in defensive efficiency, allowed 16.79 goals per game. Um, only four times did the Crusaders manage to pull, uh, put up double digits. Boston U, Lafayette, UMass Lowell, and Colgate uh, were three of their better games. And that Holy Cross, that, uh, that Boston U game was uh, really kind of fluky in how they played that one and kept it closer than I think a lot of people expected in that game. So, uh, Holy Cross in 2023, you're looking for growth, certainly. You want to get more than one win, absolutely. 
Uh, but growth and taking a step forward is really what I'm working for, the biggest thing with this team. Now, getting into the boating questions section of, of this preview here, um, we got to start off on the defensive end where they lose Chris Cohen. And you've got to ask yourself, what does a post-Chris Conwin, Holy Cross defense look like? Uh, that is a serious question. It is probably the biggest question personnel-wise coming into the season for this Holy Cross team. Chris Conwin was everything and more for this team last year. 40 cars turnovers were also in the youth, ranked third nationally in cars turnovers per game, led the nation in that category in 2020 and 2021. Uh, this is one of the most impactful players Holy Cross has had in quite some time, and, and they're losing him. He's going to take his fifth year there at Notre Dame, and uh, we'll see what he does with the Irish. But as far as the Holy Cross defense is concerned, now n- listen to me real quick right now, okay, what I'm saying. Chris Codeland had 40, 40 cost turnovers. The next two top defensemen, Ellison and Billy Carlini had six, and Hayes Reading had five. Tyler Strub had four. Six, five, and four. So those two guys combined, and remember, Chris Conlon had 40. Those two guys combined had 15. He had 25 more than the next three defensemen combined. He was the most impactful player on that team last season. And you look across the Patriot League, especially in college across in, in general, one of the biggest pieces that a team has to replace uh, when you really look at it and the production that Cohen had last season for them and, and throughout his career for them was the most important player to this team. And... I mean, I, I would say probably outside of Brendan Nicktone was the one player that was most important to his team from a production standpoint of putting this team on his back uh, that you can find anywhere else, especially in the Patriot League this past season. Now, when you look in Cage here, uh, Dawson Flyers is back. He was the starter a year ago. A.J. Fox started, I believe, two games and then uh, you know, left the program. Uh, maybe it was three, but played a little bit of time there early on uh, and then left the program. Uh, Dawson Flyers started the year as a starter in that game against Providence, was their primary starter the entire season. 157 saves, 47.4% save percentage. You know, 13 games, 12 starts. We'll see how his improvement does. He was a sophomore last year. We'll see how that improvement does. And, and certainly improving in front of him will only help his improvement as well in the cage. Um, mentioned the defense not being very efficient holistically, offensively, very similar, uh, as I mentioned um Know, briefly in the opening, 67th in offensive efficiency, averaging 8.57 goals per game. That's not good. Um, that is not good at all. 
only four times last spring did they manage to put up double digits. You had that wild Boston U game um, where they, they played the Terriers closely for a, a good portion, surprisingly. Um, Lafayette, UMass Lowell, which was their lone win, and then Colgate. Uh, the only other three games where they put up double digits uh, as well as the Boston U game. So an offense that really struggled to produce last season. And as I mentioned, they lose Will Spangenberg, uh, one of the top offensive playmakers. Uh, but they do get Dean uh, DeNano back. As the quarterback of this offense, he is really, you look at him, 19 goals, 17 assists, 36 points last season, is the biggest returner for this offense and is, you know, having a guy there at the quarterback position um, of all at the X who can run this offense as the QB is, is important. Um, now what these guys around him are going to do, what that'll look like is another question. And, and can this offense improve in general um, is very much something to question. TJ Lynch, Thomas McIntyre, Connor Boyle, Jace Lambert are all seniors. They're all back. They're all known. Uh, producers, that's going to be your core of those guys with DeNano, uh, your core guys returning. And then you also have Tim O'Callaghan and Cole Crotton-Voli, who are back. They saw, you know, some time last season. Um, and, you know, compared to the production of this offense in, in total, had strong sophomore campaigns. Um based on what this offense did. Uh, you, you look at the five goals, six assists of Tim O'Callaghan, that wouldn't necessarily be a strong season for, let's say, someone at a Maryland or a Virginia who's a, who's a you know, um, a role player, a primary role player um, for this program. Yeah, uh, Cole Crotvoli had two goals, six assists. The, this offense just needs to get better, plain and simple. Um, and you got the nano back there. So I think that's a good sign of uh, potential growth that could happen there on the offensive end. Um, and then, look, one of the biggest things we've talked about growth, we've talked about this team needs to, to improve. One thing that could help with that is you get these freshmen in there. And, and what are these freshmen going to do? Um, this is a pretty strong incoming class that, Repert has put together um, at Holy Cross, highlighted, headlined by Jordan Naso, uh, the younger brother of Duke faceoff man Jake Naso. Um, Jordan, you know, in high school at St. Anthony's, you know, picked up right where his brother left off, uh, was a standout uh, for the Flyers at the dot each of the past few seasons, was a former Air Force commit, flipped to Holy Cross, a four-star uh, rated player by inside lacrosse, the biggest get um, for Leppard since taking this job on the recruiting trail. A really, really big uh, piece to get there in the face-off success. Another area was not too good last season. I'll be interested to see can Naso come in and, and replicate what his brother has done at Duke at Holy Cross. You also have got a pair of uh, three-star rated players out 
uh, you know, Pelican Cyber Cross uh, coming to Holy Cross and Brendan Lane uh, out of Gonzaga in D.C. and Tyler Marmo out of Avon, Avon Old Farms uh, there in Connecticut, you know, helping to highlight the offensive end of this class. Both had tremendous offensive careers. Uh, we'll see if either of those guys or any of these players in this class, you got a 14 man 2022 class. Um, got some guys, you look at their film, you've seen what they've done in high school, could have the potential to make a immediate impact at the college level. We'll see how things shake out there. And depending on how much of an impact they have, could help this team improve, get better in 2023, which is certainly, uh, you know, th- this is a program wants to get back on the right track. They had a good 2019 season, looked good in 2020 uh, th- through that shortened year, and, you know, really want to get back on track there. Moving to our next program here, the LIU Sharks. Jordan Levine, a first-year head coach. And um, we've talked a lot about these programs, about what they get back. This program and talking about them at this point is more so around who they lose. Um, Richie LaCalandra, the two-time NEC uh, Offensive Player of the Year, is gone. He's transferred to Ohio State. Will Mark, the two-time, I uh, believe two-time uh, goalie of the year, defensive player of the year in the NEC, uh, came out which one he got, but he is at Syracuse now. Blake Boleyn, their uh, second top attackment, second leading goal scorer, he's gone. He is at Stony Brook. Jake Murphy, their top D midi, is at Syracuse. Ryan Bloom has exhausted his eligibility, uh, one of their top defensemen. Chris Campbell, another defense, starting defenseman, is at UMass now. And Justin Joseph, their starting faceoff man, um, is at Drexel, actually transferring for the second time in his career, came in from Lycoming uh, to LIU, now at Drexel. Um, so who, who, are the, who are the top returners for this team? Uh, Sean Bull, the off-ball attackman, the top goal scorer, one of the top goal scorers from last season. Very much an off-ball guy. And then Nicholas David, who, you know, made a pretty good jump defensively last season. Um, those are the key or top returners, if you will, um, when you look at what this team has in returns. They also get in Zando Torres, uh, midfielder out of University of D.C., uh, Division Two. Uh, product, uh, 20 goals, 7 assists last season. One of the, uh, what are they, the Firebirds or something like that. Uh, one of their top offensive weapons this past season, Levine, I think had played against him when he was at Mercy. Um, his Mercy team played against him. So, uh, you know, got to see that in person and brought him in as a transfer. Um, and, and we'll start here on the offense. So, um, one of the biggest questions here is obviously what the heck is this offense going to look like even? Uh, LaCalandra, Baylin are gone, as well as Jake Gillis and Will Snelders, who uh, have exhausted their eligibility. Um, Sean Bowles is the only top five-point getter back from last season. 
is the only guy back from last season. 25 goals, 5 assists. Um, he's the top returner, along with a very with very few experienced uh, veterans. Marcin Mikowski, Tom Von Bargen, uh is another guy. Nick Colatonio, James Butler, Owen Stefanico, um, all back. I know I butchered some of those names there. Um, they're all back at the midfield and as guys who were role players last season. Sean Bowles, the only guy that was a major player for this offense last year that is back. Um, he is a, as I mentioned, an off-ball guy, was an inside finisher at times, uh, good shooter. I don't know who's going to run this offense, who's going to be the QB, who's going to be that Richie Colandra type. Um, and you can't replace a guy I can, but uh, they've got to replace they, – they've got to get someone to run this offense. And look, whether Bull can, can, can be a – can fill that role, can turn into a QB-type attackman, um, no, has, that's not out of the realm of possibility. We've seen guys go from primarily primarily off-ball players to uh, very ball-dominant players, um, feeders, attack, uh, QB attackmen. Chris Brown uh, you know, had that revelation or that transition at Princeton this past season. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could do that. Uh, but when you watch... LIU play and what he's done, he just hasn't done that. Um, so I, you know, I don't know if if he can or if he can't. Um, but this offense is going to be one that's going to have a lot of new faces on it. Um, and Sean Bowl, the, the the one guy that uh, you need to know there, that's going to probably make the most impact uh, on that team in twenty twenty three in some way, shape, or form. On the defensive end. Um, we mentioned what they lose, and they lose a lot. Ryan Bloom, Chris Campbell, Will Mark, all, all those guys are gone. As big of losses as Campbell and Bloom are, um, th- this LIU squad, the biggest question on defense is in goal. Like, who's going to be your starting goalkeeper? Will Mark was one of the best shot stoppers in the NEC in college across uh, in general each of the past few seasons. 200 saves, 54.5% save percentage in 2022. Exit, uh, his exit marks, uh, you know, the end of that era there uh, with him at LIU and makes open a, you know, the ever important position of goalie. Um, And they're going to have to get that answer. Levine and his staff are going to have to get that answer from a very young and inexperienced goalie this is an LIU squad that returns two goalies on the roster from a year ago, Mike Murrow and Sean Gil, uh, Gilman. Neither uh, Murrow nor Gilman saw any action last season. In addition, they will bring in Jasper Simon uh, out of St. Stephen's St. Agnes. Uh, I saw him play multiple times via film this past season, uh, or via stream, I should say, this past season uh, with St. Stephen's St. Agnes. Uh, for the Saints, big fan of what he brings. Uh, would not be surprised if maybe not this year, but 
uh, you know, next year, well, I should reword that. Maybe not in 23, but 24, 25, he is the guy uh, there in cage in between the pipes for LIU. Uh, he's a talented playmaker, talented shot stopper uh, there, and could very well be the next big uh, playmaker in cage for the Sharks program. Um, but that is yet to be seen, obviously, as a freshman. Uh, you know, we'll see what he does, and we'll see what these other two guys do. It should be an open competition for, for that starting goalie spot, and it's going to be very interesting to see who wins that battle and who ultimately uh, gets to sit there uh, in between the pipes. And that is ultimately the biggest question on the defensive end for this program. Um, you know, I mentioned Nicholas David is the top pole coming back. You have to be confident in that. Um, that you do at least have one starting defenseman back. Um, but in terms of losing practically everybody, um, it, it's a clean slate. And I mean, it, it's going to be a clean slate. You know, if, if you took, if you took, you know, you got glass, right? If you just ripped up the glass and it's just dirt, you, you're taking the top off there. It's got to, and you got to put more sod down and it's got to grow in, right? This is essentially what LIU has done. Um, the, the top has been taken off. The, the top soil has been taken off. It, you got you to gotta grow this new grass. You got to grow, got to plant a new seed. And this is a new era. There's a lot of question marks. There's a lot that is missing from these past few seasons, which have been very good for this program. This has been a program that, you know, coming into Division One has been pretty successful. Uh, they've made the NEC semifinals each of the past two seasons, losing the St. Joseph's each of the past two years. Um, this is a program that has made the transition and has been successful in doing so. Now they've got to make another transition, not only from Eric Wolf to Jordan Levine and with this massive talent exodus uh, in its wake, but you've also got to transition into the MAC. And, you know, right now, when you look at the map, you look at the teams in there, obviously Saint, Sacred Heart, LIU, Wagner are, are, are moving there. Mount St. Mary's is moving there from the NEC. You have VMI moving in from the uh, SOCON. This is, a, this is a much bigger conference than it was last season. I think they've got, what, 10 teams in it now. Uh, so a much a, a larger conference a different looking conference, but you've still got those those powers that have been there uh, for the past couple of seasons in Marist and Manhattan that should be up there at the top. San Bonaventure is now out of the league. They're in the A-10. So uh, LIU, I think, in the MAC, long-term can be able to sustain and be an impact player in the MAC. I think they can very well be a top dog in the MAC just like they've been marching, toward, uh, marching forward and competing uh, with those top teams in the NEC. Now, they have yet to win a conference championship. They have yet to make the NCAA tournament as a Division One program. I don't think anyone expected them, I certainly didn't, uh, to do so uh, within their first three seasons uh, as a Division One program or even their first five seasons as a Division One program. Uh, but they have got, they have been able to, get talent, and they've been able to 
you know, be a very good program these past couple of seasons. We'll see if that continues. I think the MAC is a good league for them where they should be able to. It's a different league than the NEC. Um, it, it should be one in which they can come in and be an impact, uh, be a top team. Maybe not right away with as many pieces as they have to replace. Uh, but 24, 25, if they get this thing figured out, then that can be a dangerous team in the MAC. Now, moving on to our last team here, the Loyola Greyhounds. And this is a team that was uh, another up-and-down season there uh, at the Ridley Athletic Complex with uh, Charlie Toomey's squad going 8-8, eight and 6-2 eight, and two in the Patriot League, missing the NCAA tournament and uh, you know, really being one of the more – one of the teams that underperformed the most – last season based on their preseason ranking, which was uh, in the top 10. Heck, I picked them. I was wrong. I picked them to be a championship weekend contender, um, kind of my dark horse pick, but uh, they ended up uh, really falling flat and, and were not able to pick themselves up as they late in the season as they did uh, the year prior in 2021, uh, you know, picking themselves up, being able to make the NCAA tournament, pull off the upset against Denver, and then be within a goal or so uh, of making championship weekend. That did not happen. Um, and look, this is a team I think was still pretty good. You saw them figure some things out late, um, but ultimately it was just not what they're usually, not what they're expected to be on a typical basis. And, uh, you know, again, struggled to find cohesiveness. And while there were some high points here, the wins over Duke, Navy, Lehigh in the regular season, pull away from Bucknell in the Patriot League quarterfinals, um, you know, play Army close in that in that Patriot League semifinals um, after getting beat by them pretty bad in the regular season. So the, they did have some high points, but for the most part, it was a season in which was again highlighted by uh, you know a lack of cohesiveness, um, a lack of just being together. Uh, it, it seems it was very much kind of wishy-washy of who's going to show up today, the good Loyola, the bad Loyola. Is this going to be the Loyola uh, that beat Duke? Or is this going to be the Loyola that you know they started the year zero four? Is this going to be that team? Um, you know, we, we really never got to see, I think, Loyola at the fullest last season. Um, but coming in 23, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, the page league in general, I think is pretty wide open. So I think there, there's a chance they can be uh, page league title contenders once again, and they're going to be in that group. Loyola, Army, Lehigh, Navy, Boston U, that's going to be that group. Uh, Boston U, I think, returns, what, eight fifth-year guys. Uh, Timmy Lay, Jet Tazama, coming back, I know. Um, I mean, they return a lot of people, return a lot of pieces. Loyola, no. And, you know, obviously, Army is what they are. Navy is what they are. Lehigh, you know, these teams have been consistent, and so is Loyola. Um, Loyola, though, loses a lot. I mean, Loyola probably loses more than more than most Patriot League teams. Um, 
this season. I'll have to, I'd have to take a deep look um, at each team, which I've not done in uh, full yet. But when you look at Loyola, you lose Aiden Olmstead, you lose Kevin Lindley, your top two offensive playmakers. You lose Bailey Salvio, your, your top faceoff man. You lose Ryan McNulty, your top LSM. You lose Sam Schaefer, your starting goalie. That's a lot. That is a lot to lose. And look, th- this is going to be, and we'll start here with, with, with this offense. And the, the question here is like, who's going to be the quarterback? Who's going to be the leader of this offense? Because you lose Aiden Olmstead and Kevin Lindley. And Lindley, you know, remember, ended his career as the Patriot League's all time leading scorer. Um, and those are the most notable pieces there that you lose that production. 25 goals, 31 assists from Olmstead. 38 goals, 5 assists from Lindley. 81 combined points uh, from this squad last season will be missed. But more so on that is Olmstead was your guy running things at X for most of the time. Lindley was your primary scorer. You lose those two assets and their talent, those skill sets. The absence of those guys is is very significant and is going to make, you're going to have to replace them. There's going to be some new faces that emerge there. And especially, I I think, with with, with Lindley and what he did uh, throughout his career is probably the, the biggest loss in terms of his goal scoring ability. Um, because I don't know, when you're looking at these other guys, we have not seen that from anybody else um, on a consistent basis like we did with Lindley. Olmstead was a much more balanced playmaker and operating at that X. Um, we've seen some balanced play from these other guys. And you know, I think there is a, an answer for who's going to be the quarterback of this offense. I think there's a clear answer. Uh, first, let's get let's get into this. So, you lose Olmstead, you lose Lindley, significant. But the cupboard is not is is not bad. Far from it. Adam Poitras, twenty nine goals, nine assists. Evan James, twenty six goals, eleven assists. Those are the Greyhounds' second and third leading goal scorers last season. Joey Kamish, nineteen goals, nine assists, and Seth Higgins. 15 goals, 11 assists, were also constant constant contributors at the midfield spot. I think that midfield unit should get better this season um, with what they bring back. That is an area where I think they should improve. As for the question I asked, though, who's going to be the quarterback of this offense? I think you you got to look at Davis Lindsay for that answer. Um, this is a guy who, you know, he's he's a junior now. A tremendous five-point game against Georgetown where they put him in there. That earned him him a start, his first career start against Lehigh. And he ended up starting at attack each of the last three games of the season. He dished out 10 assists and had two goals in, uh, in those games. Both those goals came against Bucknell. But he ended the season with 28 points off eight goals and 20 assists. Ten of those assists came in the last three games of the season. And, you know, his late season emergence 
really gave us a glimpse into like, okay, this is what the future of this Loyola offense is going to look like. It might not be as electric. It might not be as, you know, holistically um, exciting as we saw with, with a Pat Spencer or an Olmstead or Lindley even thereafter. You know, and they did struggle uh, after Pat Spencer to find that traction. I think they've still struggled to find that traction throughout a full season. Uh, but you saw sparks there. And, and this might not be as, as electrifying um, as you have, but Davis Lindsay brought it. And he brought it at the right time uh, late last season. And he comes back. I think this is going to be a very, very special player uh, for years to come uh, the, the next few seasons with the Greyhounds. And can be a guy that leads this team, leads this offense back to back to prominence, back to where they want to be. Might not be uh, all sunshine and rainbows at first, where you do have um, a number of players a uh, number of holes to fill, a number of primary playmakers that you lose. Uh, but when you have a guy, a guy like Davis Lindsay, who has shown the ability, and albeit a, a pretty small sample size, but has shown the ability to make the impact that you want him to make, that, uh, you, know, you know, if you're the loyal coaching staff, that has got to feel good that you have a guy like that on your roster. And then also looking at, uh, we, we mentioned Poitras, James, Kamish, Higgins, with these guys there um, at the attack and, and midfield spots that can surround a guy like Lindsey and can be consistent contributors. I mean, th- this might not be too bad of an offense next season uh, despite losing your top two players in Olmstead and Lindley, who, you know, very much so, I'll say again, it's going to be difficult to replace those guys and you're going to have uh, maybe some missteps early on in the season with trying to fill those voids. Uh, but this is an offense. If you get it working like it needs to, could be pretty good with, with a guy like Davis Lindsay there helping to lead the way. Now, the other area where, uh, you know, you have the kind of biggest holes to be filled are at those specialist positions. Uh, in goal at the faceoff dot and, and at the LSM position. And look, you lose Sam Schaefer in goal, Bailey Savio at the faceoff dot, Ryan McNulty at LSM. All of those guys have exhausted their eligibility. Now, of those three positions, um, LSM, goalie, and faceoff, I think the two that you have to feel the most confident about with Loyola finding an immediate replacement. Um, like that can make an impact and is solid throughout the season is that face-off in the Ellison position. And we'll start with the Ellison position first. So you lose uh, Ryan McNulty there, and Loyola has a tradition of having really, really good Ellisons. And so you lose a guy like Ryan McNulty, um, and look, you will get Scott. You know, what they return, I think, is strong. Scott Middleton is back as a grad student. He was their backup LSM last season. Um, had a strong 2022 season. 24 uh, ground balls, five cause turnovers as the secondary LSM. He's been pretty consistent, pretty good in uh, that role as a reserve 
uh, at the awesome spot as a secondary guy there. He's the natural heir apparent to the coveted Loyola Ellison spot. Okay, just out of what his production so far, right? Sophomore Diego Roman and juniors Gunnar, uh, Gunnar uh, Chevrolet and Josh Ferry saw minimal action last spring. Chase Gregory is the fifth LSM on the roster. So um, Scott Milton is the heir apparent from a production standpoint and what he's done overall. But I think having a guy like Diego Roman there who, you know, was a great high school player in North Carolina and now being at the college level and seeing what he did in limited time last season, uh, you know, should be pretty good at the LSM spot for Loyola in terms of not only having a guy like Middleton that you can count on as to step up and be a primary guy, at the position, uh, but also having uh, some good depth there as well uh, with the likes of Roman as a sophomore, uh, Chevron as a junior, Fairley as a junior as well, um, and then Chase Gregory, the freshman there. So uh, you should feel good about the awesome spot, and you should also feel good about the face-off spot where, look, Eric Paccio did not play a ton last season. Uh, but if you remember that Duke game, which was the best game I think that Loyola played all season uh, for a multitude of reasons, he went 9-6 of six in that game as a backup. And I think it was like, he did he win like six straight or something like that I, is what I remember. Uh, but maybe that was a different game. But he... Faccio played very well in that game, went 25 for 52 on the season. That's 48%. Not not 50 or above like you'd want to see. But in the limited action that he was in, uh, you did see him play well. And he did what he he did his job. And, and that's what you're looking for. And he is a guy that at the, you know, what the might, you know, Faccio and Chris Contone are the only two face-off guys in the roster. Similar to what we'll talk about here at the goalie spot, there's not a lot of production returning there. But from what Paccio has shown, I think you can be confident with giving him that primary option, giving him that primary role at the faceoff dot and letting him flourish because I think he could. Now, in goal, it's a different story. You'll lose Sam Schaefer, but remember, Schaefer had two games last season where Luke Stott started and Titlebombs and Colton Titlebaum started. Both those guys are back, um, as well as graduate transfer Freeman, excuse me, graduate student, not transfer, uh, graduate student Freeman Whitaker and freshman Max Watkinson uh, are the other two goalies on the roster. Not a lot of production at all from these guys. Stott had 22 saves uh, with a 46.8% save percentage. Teitelbaum had two saves with a 22% save percentage last season. Again, those are your two backups. They did not see much playing time at all, uh, although they did each get a start. So not a lot returning. Whitaker hasn't played a lot. Watkinson is a freshman. A lot of question marks 
at these uh, specialty positions where uh, you know, Loyola has and is going to have to lean on. Once again, every team has to lean on these guys to make plays and need to be, you know, linchpins in multiple situations, uh, in certain situations uh, to help put this thing together. Uh, so those specialist positions certainly are where your question marks are uh, with this Loyola team as well as in multiple spots on offense. Now let's talk about this defense real quick because I'm not outside of the LSM spot and the goalie spot. I have no really question marks about this defense. So who do you return? Okay, you talk, you return Cam Wiles, Matt Hughes, two of your top close defensemen, right? You lose, you, excuse me, you return both of those guys. <clears throat> the only starting pole uh, at close that you lose is Kyle LeBlanc, who was a grad student last season. He's the only guy that you lose. And, oh, yeah, you get back Peyton Rosanka, who, for my money, is the best defensive midfielder in the Patriot League, one of the best defensive midfielders in the country, at times was Loyola's best defender last year. Uh, 27 cost turnovers, 31 ground balls, three goals, one assist. Also, you know, you know found an impact in that transition uh, role as well. And, well, this is a team last season that allowed 11.6 goals per game, and they're certainly going to have to improve in that um, very much so. But when you look at what they have and – you know, this is a defense that has had it's it's struggled over the years. It's it's been kind of up and down, and you know, are they you know being all these guys are glad of fifth use? It you know you can certainly ask like okay, is, is there really is it really going to be a situation where there's improvement? These guys are who they are, and and, and that's fair. Uh, but also, you don't have to start over. Um, defensively, holistically, um, and really with this team in general, you don't really have to start over. You're not pulling everything off and having to regrow it um, like with LIU. You're not pulling the top off of, off at every single position and having to dig deep. Um, there's a lot of talent returning to this team in 2023, uh, both offensively, defensively, uh, at those specialist positions, even though there may not be a ton of uh, production or a ton of, you know, just the, the sample size is not very big right now. Uh, but this is a team that should be pretty good. Now, the, the, the elephant in the room here, obviously, is can they stay consistent? Because um, if they can, they can be pretty good. Um, you know, last year they came in the season ranked in top 10 ended firmly outside of the top 20. Uh, you know, the year prior, took a strong season-ending push to get them in the NCAA tournament. Um, I mean, this this should be a good team in 2023. There, there's no doubt about it. And the Patriot League, as I mentioned, uh, Loyola should be a contender once again, along with Army, Navy, Lehigh, and Boston U. Like, that should be the group again that's fighting for a title in the Patriot League that should be the group again that is at the top. Those are going to be the teams that are fighting there. 
And look, if this team can address these issues they have, if they can improve in those areas where they have question marks, especially defensively, I think, and, and offensively, just getting that more cohesive going, if they can mesh, if they can improve, and they can answer those questions, this is a team that can very well come out on top of the Patriot League. Um, now, if not, I think it, 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 it would very well – it would very well lend itself to being a third, much of the same for a third year in a row um, in terms of what this team could uh, look like if, if they, again, are just not consistent. Now, I do want to mention the freshman class here. Big fan of what Loyola brings in in their freshman class. Um, you have, you know, I, I mentioned back in the fall uh, of 2021, one of the sneaky good classes in the 2022 cycle. Um, <clears throat> 11 man class, especially offensive heavy. So we'll see if any of these guys step in and make an impact offensively right away. I think there could be some of that. Um, and, and specifically with, with these guys, I'll name here real quick. Uh, Hugh Brown, a midfielder out of McDonough in Maryland. Uh, Brady West, also a midfielder there out of Southside in uh, New York, you have uh, attackman Luke Murphy out of Medfield, Mass., Will McCullough out of St. Stephen's, St. Agnes., and then you have uh, Matthew Minicus, uh, another one of the Minicus brothers playing. Uh, he's in the Patriot League, his other brothers playing. Obviously, uh, Colgate or one now at Georgetown is a grad transfer, but another Minicus brother who is uh, heading the Patriot League this time down to – Loyola, um, and this is a good class that brings a lot in, and I think with some of the answers that Loyola needs uh, offensively and really just holistically with how they've not been very consistent, you they could find some of those answers in this freshman class. So, you know, my diagnosis on Loyola, good team. Uh, they got a lot of good talent, but you got to show me you can be consistent. You got to show me you can put it together for a full season from February to May. Um, you know, none of this, we're up one day, we're down one day. You know, we're going to have a, we're gonna have a skid. Oh, we spoke now. Oh, we're skidding again. Be consistent, be consistent. And that's, that, that's really the, the biggest question here for this team is, you know, besides all the personnel question marks they have is like, can they be consistent? And, and if so, they can do what we know Loyola can do, which is win the Patriot League and be a threat in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they can very much do, do that if they can be consistent. All right, folks, that is it for today's episode. As always, thank you all for tuning in. You can connect with us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season. See you all next week.